Hello, Believers. This is Dr. Shantae, and welcome to another episode of Believing Bigger Podcast. Man, it's been a while. And you know what? I literally, I was kicking myself for just being so, I'm going to use this word, inconsistent this season. And part of the reason is because I had originally planned for this to be a 10-episode season, and then... I decided it was going to be a full season. And so because I had not initially planned for that back half of content, it's been very sporadic. And I never want to go more than two weeks without doing an episode of, and my preference is weekly. But I have a really good reason this time. If you've been listening to me for any amount of time, I have been very transparent about my mother's illness and her needing a lung transplant and all that good stuff. Well, uh, some from the time that I spoke to you last, that actually happened. So we got the call that we have been waiting for two years to get. And my mother got a double lung transplant as well as a kidney transplant. And when you get that call, you have to go like at a moment's notice. And because we were not prepared, we were not expecting it. Everything has just been so frantic and hectic since. And obviously, because it's a major surgery, a major set of surgeries, there was a lot of waiting on pins and needles. I I have spent so many hours in the hospital, like I didn't even know what day it was. It's like you, you just lose so much time. And so suffice it to say, everything in life had to take a back seat to that. But I am pleased to report that she is doing well. She came through both surgeries with flying colors. Um, Most of the tubes that she had hooked up to her have been removed and they actually expect her home in the next few days. So I imagine by next week she will be at home. So it's been a lot. (laughs) It has been a lot. So I apologize that I just have not been able to be as consistent as I usually am. And it doesn't mean that I have not been thinking about you, but I have. And also during that time, it was actually kind of a a blessing in disguise because it has kind of culminated in the creation of this episode. And last season, I did a whole series on church folks, but I have not done spoken about church hurt. And that's what I'm going to be talking about on this episode and the next episode, because some of the things that I have seen and heard, just some really unfortunate things have weighed heavily on my heart and have led me to this episode or to this episode series. So this week and next week, we are going to be talking about church hurt. So our guiding scripture, our guiding thought for this episode is 1 Peter 4, 17. And it says this, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin with us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? I'll repeat that. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin with us, What shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And so a lot of things brought me to this episode. One of them, just my own observations that I'm not going to say the generation behind me because the generation suggests that there's like a 25 year gap. But I will say that people that are young people that are uh, maybe 10, 12 years younger than me are definitely not 
committed to the gospel the way that maybe my generation was committed to the gospel and previous generations were committed to the gospel. There's been a significant falling away, and I'm going to talk about that. And one of the things that I say all the time, and I've said it so much these past couple of weeks in my conversations with different people, is I completely understand why people don't go to church. I mean, I get it. I really, truly do. And so we're going to unpack quite a bit of that in this episode. And so we will be talking about the church is not full of Christians, but sinners. Number two, church hurt comes in many forms. And number three, God is bigger than the church. So let's get right into it. So one of the things that I want to say right from the giddy up, okay, is that we need to disabuse ourselves, okay, that is divorce ourselves from the notions that the church building is a place full of loving, Christ-like, Bible-rooted people. It should be, but it isn't, okay? The church is full of imperfect people, including me, including you. None of us are perfect. We all have our flaws, and not everyone who comes to the church is saved, okay? Some people come for entertainment because they like the choir or they like the message. Some people come looking for resources because some churches do meals and and soup kitchens and, and clothing donations and that sort of thing. Some come looking for social interaction, so they come looking for a boo. Okay, and and some human connection and and they just like being in the midst of that energy. Okay, so the church is full of sinners who are saved by grace and scripture supports that Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no man can boast. In other words, It's only by the grace of God that you have been saved. And the reason why you have been saved is because you believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, there's nothing you can do. So when they say not of works, lest anyone should boast, there is nothing you can do. You can be the goodiest of the goody two shoes and you could not earn your way to heaven. On your best day, we could not do enough to earn our way to heaven. And so when we say saved, okay? Because a lot of times we use words and we really don't know what they mean. So when we say that a person is saved, being saved means saved from the power of sin over our lives, being saved from the penalty of sin, which is eternal death. And then ultimately when we die and go to heaven, we will be saved from the presence of sin. Like we won't even have to be in the midst of it and be tempted and and all of that. And so being saved is being saved from the power of sin over our lives because we have the power of the Holy Spirit that works within us. Being saved from the penalty of sin, which means we're not going to to go to hell and, and, and into the lake of fire. And when we die also from the presence of sin. And all of that comes through faith in Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So what does that mean? That does not mean that you are going to be perfect, okay? Being saved does not mean that you are not going to struggle with sin. And it does not mean that you are going to have a perfect relationship with God. So the church is full of people that are struggling with things from the pulpit to the door. Okay, 
people that are struggling to get it right, people that have callings on their lives, okay, to to share the gospel or to, to use their gifts in ways that impact and change the world. And they are still struggling in a number of ways. And too often, we lift up the church like it's heaven and it's not. And despite the church's good intentions, it has many, many flaws. And let me tell you something. Y'all know I go to church every Sunday. I have gone to the same church uh, since, oh gosh, the sixth grade. And when I tell you it has been a struggle to hold on to God's unchanging hand in the midst of many, many things that I have not agreed with that I thought were contrary to the word. But, you know, we'll get into all of that. And I want to be very clear, okay, that there is a difference between being religious, okay? We know a lot of people who are religious, okay? But it does not necessarily mean that they are saved. And I just explained to you what that meant. And I want to back this up with scripture because I'm, I'm going to tell you, this is not going to be a popular message, okay, among some people, especially people in the church that, that tend to take offense, you know, whenever... Uh, there's criticism launched against the church. But the fact of the matter is, if not us, then who? Okay, because we have to be able to be the ones that discern the difference between those who are saved, those who are not saved, those who are rightly dividing the word of truth, meaning being rooted and grounded in the Bible and those who are just speaking out the side of their neck. And so in Matthew 23, 13, 15, Jesus said, woe to you. And we, we talked a few episodes back. What does woe mean? Calamity. Okay. Calamity to you, Pharisees and you other religious leaders, you hypocrites, for you will not let others enter the kingdom of heaven and you won't go in yourselves and you pretend to be holy with all your long public prayers in the streets while you are evicting widows from their homes. You hypocrites. Yes, woe unto you hypocrites for you go through all the lengths to make one convert and then turn him into twice the son of hell that you are yourselves. Eee, I'm going to say that one more time. Woe to you, calamitous ruin to you Pharisees, okay, which were the Jewish religious leaders of that time, and you other religious leaders, you hypocrites, for you won't let others into the kingdom of heaven and you won't go yourselves. So in other words, you're not following the word and you're keeping other people from following the word and you pretend to be holy with your long public prayers in the streets while you are evicting widows from their homes. And we know there's a lot of quote unquote, popular preachers on the gram and on Facebook and, and they have these large followings. But when the rubber meets the road, when, when people come with real needs, oh, all of a sudden it's like, skirt. Mm, yeah, sorry, we, we don't do that. We, we take the money, but we ain't giving none out. It says, yes, woe unto you hypocrites, for you will go through all those lengths to make one convert and then turn him into twice the son of hell that you are yourselves. And so Jesus went in on the religious people, on the regular. There was no love lost between them. They hated him and they put him on the cross. Okay, so Jesus had a real issue with religious leaders who were 
who were hypocrites, okay? They were interested in religion, okay? A religion is a particular system of faith and worship, a man-made system of faith and worship. And the world is full of religious people who have no relationship with God. And Jesus was heavily critical of those people, people who were looking the part, but were not living the part. This is why Hear me, okay? Hear me and hear me well. This is why it is so important that you know God for yourself, that you study for yourself, that you pray for yourself. Because if you try to outsource those things, I'm gonna just let the preacher do it. I'm gonna just let Big Mama do it. I'm gonna just let, you know, the reverends do it and the deacons do it. If you try to outsource those things, to, to religious leaders and, and, and leaders in the community, you are going to make yourself vulnerable to church hurt. And I want to be very clear. I'm not saying that all churches are bad. I am not saying that at all. I am saying that we need to readjust our expectations, okay? That we need to recognize where our faith truly is and not allow what man does to disrupt your notions and your perceptions of God, even if that man represents or claims to represent God. Man's ways are not our ways are not God's ways and, and man's thoughts are not God's thoughts, okay? As a matter of fact, Jesus makes this very clear. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So that's what I'm saying. I want to be very clear. There are lots of people that look the part and they seem church-y or they seem church-ish. But when the rubber meets the road, they don't really have a relationship with God. And too many of us, so many of us have come across those people, have run afoul of those people. And those are the people that will make you say, mm. The church ain't, ain't full of nothing but hypocrites. Mm, that's why I don't go to church. Mm, see, that's why. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. So I just want to be very clear. Man's ways are not God's ways. Man's thoughts are not God's thoughts. And even though Jesus criticized, okay, the religious leaders who were hypocrites, there were many who were not hypocrites. Okay, so don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And yes, sometimes it's a process to find the right one. This is why you should pray for discernment, you know, and, and ask God to, to lead you into to the direction about where you should be worshiping. But even though he was critical, Jesus also regularly attended worship. The Bible says that he attended temple because that was his custom. He went to church on a regular basis, which brings us to church hurt comes in many forms. You know, I posted something on, uh, I think, social media uh, a few weeks ago, and I said, I wish folks cared as much about the church body as they did about the church brand. And what I mean by that is I have seen it so many times, too many times, okay? As as and I'm and I'm gonna speak for, for black people right now, okay? Not that I'm the representative, but I'm a, I'm gonna speak to my brethren and my sister in right now, okay? A lot of times we are quick to turn the lip up at the Catholic Church. Mm, ain't that a shame? Look what they doing. That mm, 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 mm. but you know what? 
you we need to take the the moat out of our own eye before we go uh talking about the log that's in somebody else's eye okay we need to to examine our own selves because in the church in the black church okay and that's the only perspective that i can speak from because i have not i'm not a catholic i haven't been to the catholic church i don't know about mass and the rosary and the eucharist i don't know nothing about none of that I, from casual observation, I can tell you a couple, two things, but I have not studied that, so I'm not going to speak on that. I'm going to speak on the perspective that I know and am most familiar with. But in the black church, when wrongdoing occurs too often, there is a rush to silence the offended and protect the offender. I'm going to say that again. When wrongdoing occurs in the church, okay, in the black church, there is too often a rush to silence the offended and protect the offender. Too often there is a rush to try to force forgiveness on the person that has been wronged. And now somebody that came at you sideways, somebody that sexually assaulted you, some minister that, that enticed you, you know, into an inappropriate relationship. And then you so quick to want to sh shut that person up or, or, or you want to say, well, you know, the Bible says that we ought to forgive. Hold on, hold on pimping hold on okay because that abusing of the word using the word to try to manipulate your own ends is a sin and a shame yeah i said it and i'm not taking it back the fact of the matter is forgiveness yes is a choice and i believe that you should forgive and forgiveness can happen instantly you can instantly make the choice that you are going to forgive that individual and try to move past this but healing is a process okay Forgiveness is a choice and healing is a process. And so when wrongdoing occurs, trying to just force forgiveness down people's throat and, and try to make them instantly healed and with what happened, that's not, that's not scriptural. That's not normal. Should forgiveness occur? Yes, it should. And, and forgiveness is for you. It's not for the individual. A lot of times we want to talk about what somebody deserves. That person doesn't deserve forgiveness, but you deserve to be free from the power that that incident has over your life. So that's what forgiveness is for. But too often we're trying to force that on somebody and, and try to hit them with a whole bunch of scriptures about what they ought to be doing instead of engaging that person in their hurt. Okay. Understanding that person in their grief, engaging that person in their their anger because they are rightfully hurt. They are rightfully angry. They are rightfully offended. Too often there is a rush to discredit and shame the victim, okay, while excusing the behavior of the wrongdoer. Okay, I have known of incidents where inappropriate relationships occurred, you know, with men of the cloth and the man of the cloth, he gets forgiven, but the woman, mm, home wrecker, slut, hoe, it's like, Wait, what? Wait, wait, what? Huh, who, hey? Huh? I don't understand that. How are you going to forgive him and not forgive her? How are you going to give grace to him and not give grace to her? And if you have found yourself in that place as one of the accused and, and one who will, will grant grace, you know, to the leader, but not grant grace to the person who was, who was doing the dirt with him, you need to examine yourself. You need to question. You need to say, what is that about? Why? Why have I made that distinction? Why have, why have I done that? Because that's something internally that you need to resolve. And because church leadership tends to be so male dominant, justice, quote unquote, has been dispensed on women and seldom to the man. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at scripture. John 8, 1 through 11 says this. 
Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law, so remember them, them religious leaders that he went in on a, 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 a little while ago? It says, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. The scripture said her, not them, not him, her. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. These are religious people. Okay, these are religious people. And so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And I don't know what he wrote. I want to, so I'm going to use my sanctified imagination. And I believe that whatever he wrote in the dust read different to each person who read it. Okay, like whatever he wrote manifested different to each person who read it. I believe that they sin. Okay, they deep as dark as sin probably was manifested right there on that ground. And it was like, mm. verse nine says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? In other words, where they at now? You, didn't nobody throw a stone? And she said, no, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. That's how Jesus handled business. He didn't drag nobody out into the public square and say, look at what this person did. Shame on them and, and this, that, and the third. No, Jesus didn't do that because when the people brought her, he already saw the shuck and jive for what it was. He already peeped the huckabuck for what it was. And so having said that, I have witnessed on a number of occasions and I have experienced this myself forcing unwed mothers to come before the church and apologize for her sin, but not requiring the fathers to do the same or forcing unwed mothers to come and atone for her sin. But what about the sins that you don't see? What about the person who sinned and didn't get caught? They don't have to come before the church. So why are you forcing her to come before the church? Jesus didn't make uh, this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. He didn't, he didn't say, okay, well, well, let's string her up. Let's stone her. He said, boo, don't do that no more. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to come down on you. Just don't do that no more. Go on about your business. And that was the end of it. Or asking victims, the church will ask victims of sexual assault questions like, well, what were you wearing? Uh, what time of night was it? Um, what were you doing in such a such place at such a such time of night? I'm sorry. You know, I do understand that the things that we wear can send inappropriate messages to people, can signal that it can attract unwanted attention. Does that mean that that person deserves to be sexually assaulted? No. And so if somebody comes with uh, an admission of sexual assault, which is very hard to report it, okay? It's very hard to report it in the first place. Those are not the questions that need to be asked because those questions suggest, well, maybe you brought this on yourself, poo-poo. I really, ooh, I really, really 
it took all the Jesus in me not to, to bring that surviving R. Kelly mess on this podcast. And I'm not going to, but I was so disappointed in our people because I can only speak from my perspective. I was so disappointed in our people. Them girls knew what they was doing when I was 15. You know, I knew what I was doing. If she want to be a hot tail, you know, she knew what the deal was. Ain't nobody forced her. She, uh, wow, wow, wow. Well, I'm going to listen to the music anyway, because I mean, look, you know, he ain't the first one. What about Harvey Weinstein? What about he ain't the first and he ain't the last. I mean, we always try to come down on the black man. Wow. Wow. Whoa. I, mm, mm. Uh, you know what? If you were one of those people, I'm just going to invite you to pray about that. I'm going to invite you to pray about that because you know what? I'm going to say this. A lot of us have hurts that we have not resolved. A lot of us have been that 14-year-old girl, that 15-year-old girl. And because we went willingly as a lamb to the slaughter, we didn't call it what it was, which was rape. And sometimes that word is hard for us psychologically because you know what the mind does. What the mind does is when you have experienced something that is traumatic, like sexual abuse or sexual assault or an inappropriate sexual relationship, the mind to protect you will go and manufacture and fabricate a narrative that makes it easier for you to swallow, that makes it palatable for you so that you can survive and move on from it. And I'm telling you, shaming the victim, blaming the victim, telling 14-year-olds and 15-year-olds that they knew what they were doing is not going to change the trauma that happened to you. So please don't use other people's abuse as a, as a means to try to resolve and justify your own trauma. I'm going to encourage you to go and work that thing out. I'm going to encourage you to get the, the support and the therapy that you need to work that thing out and to be able to be honest about what that situation really was. Okay. If you are 14 year old and you having sex with a 21 year old, let's call that situation what it really is. So let me get back on track. Uh, church hurt comes in many forms telling the victim Telling the victim to take a leave of absence from the church so that they can, quote unquote, take time to heal when the real motive is let's keep this incident out of the public eye, out of sight, out of mind. So let's go ahead and send you underground for a while. Uh, giving somebody the up and down because their attire doesn't seem church appropriate. Listen, listen, you wasn't always saved. Your skirts weren't always knee length, okay? And and you didn't always have tailored trousers, okay? Sometimes, you, once upon a time, your stuff was raggedy. Your skirt was short and you all you had was, was, was tattered jeans, okay? If that's what you had, that's what you had. When you saw Jesus teaching by the seaside and teaching on the countryside, he didn't say, hold on, disciples, go and check and see what they got on because if they ain't got on silk robes, they can't come to today's lesson. What? Who are you to say that? Who are you to give somebody the up and down because they don't come in looking like you think they ought to look on a Sunday morning or, or uh, using fear and shame to manipulate and control people? It happens from the pulpit all the time. Okay, the pulpit is not the place or the platform to try to manipulate and control people using scriptures to try to bend them to your will. Church hurt comes in many forms. Poverty shaming. Okay, that happens a lot of times in the church because guess what? Everybody that's in the church don't have direct deposit, period. The Bible says the poor will be with you 
always. There will always be poverty among you. And so the fact that, you know, sometimes these churches, I ain't saying no names, you know, got the $500 line and they got the $100 line and they got the $1,000 line. Really? Mm. I, mm. Okay. I, yeah, I'm going I'm to leave that right there. Encouraging women to stay in abusive relationships. The Southern Baptist Convention, I'm going to call it out and I'm going to say it what it is. It's well documented. Encouraging women to stay in abusive relationships. Now, they have since denounced and they're, they're trying to slowly turn the page on that. But how many women up until now have been encouraged to stay in those relationships like, oh, he's just letting off some steam. Oh, you know, that's just a man being a man, turning a blind eye to a man's infidelity, saying, oh, you know how it is. You know, that, that, that's just how boys are. Or expecting uh, wives of church leaders to smile and nod lest they be shamed for not supporting her husband despite knowing the truth of his actions behind closed doors. Church hurt comes in many forms and that's not even an exhaustive list. But that brings me to God, hallelujah, is bigger than the church. James 3 1 says this, not many of you should become teachers serving in an official capacity, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who are teachers will be judged by a higher standard because we have assumed greater accountability and more condemnation if we teach incorrectly. Here's the good news. God is going to sort it all out. When the Bible says you reap what you sow, trust God is going to sort it all out. And he cautions a lot of times people in church, they want to be in front of people because they want to be seen and they want to be heard. But James said, you better you better think twice. You better count the cost. You know why I come on this podcast and just speak the truth? I'm not even going to say truth to power. I'm going to say the truth to scripture because... God is going to hold me accountable for that. I'm not going to sit up here and try to reap no consequences, you know, for sugarcoating the word. I'm going to just give it to you straight no chaser in the story. And I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking for the text. Okay. As, as God has given it to me, I'm going to give it to you. And that's just the end of it because I don't want to be held accountable because God holds me to a higher standard because I've assumed greater accountability and I will be condemned if I teach incorrectly. And so having said that, Many of us, we have been taught so many things. We have been taught so many things that are contrary to God's will for our lives. And for that reason, so many have fallen away from the church. So remember earlier when I talked about that younger generation, I don't necessarily want to target millennials, but millennials by and large have fallen into what is called this moral relativism. Moral relativism means, hey, anything goes. Whatever doctrine works for you, you do you, boo. Your truth is your truth. You know, if your God is a woman, hey, do you, boo. You know, who who are me to judge? And here's what I'm going to say about that, okay? I'm going to, to give scripture. The Bible says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus did not say, I am a way. I am a truth. I am a light. And there are multiple options. You can pick whatever works for you. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man, no person comes to the father 
unless he comes through me. And that's just the word. Study it for yourself. James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Some versions say, be doers of the word and not hearers only. It says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgot what he looked like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, so it's not about rules, it's about relationship, and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious, this is verse 26, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves. In other words, you can't be going to church every Sunday and then cussing folks out in the parking lot. Okay? Religion, verse 27, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I'm going to repeat that. So what religion does God find acceptable? Verse 27, this is James 1:27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In other words, think about somebody other than yourself. Tend to the needs of somebody other than yourself. Look out on the needs of others, okay? Because like I said, no matter what your station is in life, trust and believe there is definitely a step down. He says, so look out for people who are in need. Help them and keep yourself from being polluted by the world where many of us have, especially in this day and age of, of oh my gosh, media, not just, you know, on the TV, but, you know, on our tablets and on our phones and, and every place else. It's so easy to get pulled into things that just have nothing to do with God. And let me just say this. Let me let me end this way because I know I've, I've gone a while. Do not let church cause you to miss out on Jesus. I'm going to repeat that. Do not let church calls you to miss out on Jesus. Spiritual maturity requires, requires us to make a distinction between the creator and the created. Okay. It requires us to make that distinction. The church is more than a building. We are the church, the body of baptized believers in Jesus Christ. We are the church, which means that wherever we go, wherever our foot hits the ground, whomever we encounter, we have an opportunity to bring somebody into a relationship with Christ. We have an opportunity to invite them at, at, for an opportunity to be saved from those things that I talked about earlier in the podcast. Jesus made a point to teach people where they were in the market, by the seaside, on the hills and in the mountains. And yes, also in the synagogues, your church going experience does not have to look traditional. Okay. It doesn't, it doesn't have to look like big mama's uh, church experience, but whatever your experience is, it should be rooted in the word of God and not the gospel according to what you think it ought to be. Psalms 118.8 says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Listen, here's my, and everybody's not like me, okay? So I'm not saying do as I do, but I'm a firm believer that you cannot change a system from the outside looking in. You have to, to change it from within. And I'm one of those people, I have a strategic mindset. I like to play the long game, okay? I like to find out who all the players are, what the politics are, and slowly but surely, 
start to make those moves and, and build those types of energies and coalitions that are going to change things for the better. But I can only do that from the inside. I can only do that, okay? Not from being on the outside, throwing rocks, throwing stones, saying, y'all a bunch of hypocrites, y'all ain't this and y'all ain't that. I choose to change the system from the inside out. You can be a disruptor without being disruptive, meaning you can be a disruptor. You can hold people accountable while doing so decently and in order. It doesn't mean you have to be belligerent. It doesn't mean that you have to to come at them, you know, with with guns blazing. You can have multiple ways of disrupting things, you know, and, and challenging people. And the Bible says if someone offends you, bring it to them in a loving fashion. But the church, but the church, so church leaders, whatever, listening to this, the church needs to acknowledge its wrongdoing. The church owes a lot of people a lot of apologies. The church needs to atone for its own sin. The church needs to do better. And when I say the church needs to atone for its own sins, the Bible says, what can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So I'm not saying they need to go and make some sacrifices, but I am saying they need to confess those sins and they need to own the hurt that they have caused to so many people. The church needs to do better, plain and simple. Christians need to do better, plain and simple. And in part two, what I'm going to be doing is sitting down with a guest or two to talk about what that looks like. What does the healing look like? Because you know what? You may never get that apology. And if you don't, what does that look like? How are you able to keep your relationship with God intact, even though the church has has spurned you in some way? Because that's the part of the conversation that needs to have. So part one, I'm just laying out, out the situation as it is. But part two is, now what? What's the next step? And how do we move forward in a way that brings us closer to the Lord? Okay. Okay. So that's it. That's all. Um, man, this is a meaty episode. Is it? Mm. And there's a lot more I could say. I had to, I had to edit myself, but please know everything that I have said has been in love. Everything that I've said is, is been in love. You know, I, I, I feel, a a, a kinship with the prophets in the Bible because the prophets were almost always the bearers of some news that folks weren't trying to hear. <laughs> they were always the bearers of some news, uh, some message that wasn't necessarily popular, but was necessary. And so that's what this is. Okay. It may not be popular, but it's necessary. And so if you have not already head to readytobelieve.com, make sure that you subscribe because just like all this craziness happened with in my personal life, I haven't been able to reach out to my subscribers and just, uh, I'm going to do better. I promise that I am. Thank you for being patient with me. And so this is episode 15. We got five episodes left. So this is going to be a 20 episode season. And so we are, are in the home stretch of, of those episodes. I have already laid them out so that we don't have this disruption in the continuity of our content. And I appreciate you for sticking with me. If you have any questions, comments, takeaways about this episode, as always, you can hit me up at Dr. Shante Says on Twitter, on Instagram, and I will see you next time.